one of the first things to understand when we talk about the principles and spirit of the military is that military men have throughout human history been instruments in the hands of the larger forces at work. Call them cannon fodder or fresh fish or pawns. Countless human lives have been lost, young lives snuffed out in their prime, slaughtered, maimed, millions gone to their deaths, unnamed and unsung. For some individuals or ideals, identities or interests, but what has through time motivated these common men in various armies, what made them submit their will, surrender their fate and sacrifice their lives for the ambitions of a few, a collective idea or geographical entity and continues to is what I talk about here. My intention uh, when I was thinking about a title and trying to structure this talk was to more holistically address this issue, covering some of the other connected things that have become recurring themes in social media. The main issues that form the context of my talk today are firstly, a section which has been discrediting Subhash Chandra Bose for among other things, the operative language of the Indian National Army founded by him and the other, a recent Sangam Talks video that appeared among a set of panel talks released on 26-11 that featured Major General G.D. Bakshi and Major Gauravarya, moderated very admirably by Neera Jatri, which excited a flood of opinions and reactions alleging lack of clarity of the military men on dealing with Islam. To begin with the latter, the allegations of a delusional secularism among Indian military men and a blind eye towards Muslims' motivations. We come across such views off and on on social media when people see these sardhan pratna sthals of the army or efforts of rapprochement taken up sometimes by the military in problem areas like Kashmir, Northeast and also these statements that military men make sometimes that in the armed forces all religions are equal at which people roll up their eyes and say oh the same secular talk. So is this true that military men are deluded by secularism? Is this a relevant criticism of the military and how does it play out in reality? These are best answered by another set of questions. Is the military supposed to deal with Islamic ideology? And whenever it has dealt with Islam as a force, has it failed due to this alleged shortcoming of military men? How does the individual behave within the military? And how does the military behave as a unit? Now, first thing to understand here is that the military is just an arm of the state. It is not acting out any policy or aims of its own in dealing with entities outside of itself because internally they too have a definite ethos, policy and code of conduct. Most important of these is that the military does not operate on ideology. This is the hallmark of a professional fighting force. A force that has been schooled on ideology will have differential levels of commitment among the men. It will be unreliable, inconsistent in performance, 
disjointed due to discrepancy in motivations and prone to indiscipline and infighting and not solely on account of religion. Ideological differences exist within the same religion as well. We have seen how acrimonious these fault lines within the Hindu identity can be on the issue of caste, sub-caste, communal chauvinism. We have seen Rajput, Sikh, Maratha, Jat groups squabble amongst each other in social media. And it is not that lobbies don't take advantage of these. And take for example tomorrow if Rajputs refuse to serve under a Maratha officer or Sikhs refuse to serve under a Tamilian officer or Shias under a Sunni. Had we been a 100% Hindu country, even then implementing this Hindu army idea would not be possible due to infinite such diversity within the Hindu identity itself. Hindu armies did fight against each other in the past, sometimes collaborating with Muslims for one-upmanship against each other. There were Hindu regional armies, clan armies constantly fighting amongst themselves. So, ideology as identity or identity as ideology is a descent down the slope because these ideas can be broken down into smaller and smaller interest groups. It's like introducing the devil within of disintegration. The very talk about any identity distinction, be it caste or religion or regional in the military setting is equal to creating a fault line. Recently I saw a video clip on internet. This never used to happen earlier. It showed a unit of the elite forces marching to this song, Tum Bharat Ke Veer Ho Jati Bhed Bhav Ko Ja, something along these lines. Now this kind of activism is exactly what is not required for the military. It is like poison. Why would you talk about Jati when it is not even a factor? The bottom line is that Personal identities are meant to be dissolved in the military and another overarching unifying identity reinforced so that the personal motivations of the men do not interfere with their actions. It wouldn't be inaccurate perhaps to say that uh, the military is meant to be a programmed animal with a predictable behavior. Secondly, such views give no thought to the vital question how one would implement this proposed Hindu identity based military? How far can one go? Is it even possible? Is it uh, practicable as state policy to legitimize suspicion against a group of people and exclude them from service? And then who all will you exclude? Is it possible to predict desertion? Which identities are thrown? Have Hindus not deserted? The biggest desertion in the history of Indian Army since independence has been by Sikhs. So shall we exclude Sikhs now from the military? We had recently heard a lot of these retired officers of a particular persuasion coming out in open support of the subversive farmers agitation. So now will we start picking army men on the basis of their political allegiances? These do sometimes come in play in appointments at senior influential posts, but this is not the basic ingredient of the military. Moreover, outlooks and attitudes are constantly changing. Interest groups keep realigning themselves. 
the military cannot stand on such shifty ground. It is important to understand that any ideology, Islamism, Dalitism, Hindutva, Communism, Identity Chauvinism, Socialism, a couple of years back there was a whole lot of bilge against the Sahayak system. By the way, this nonsense emanated from the Hindutva camp and which is foolish considering the military is a strictly hierarchical system which is crucial for enforcing discipline. All these notional boxes are harmful for the integrity of the armed forces. And mentioning all these ideologies together does not mean that I am equating them. I have my own personal thought and rationale on which of these is valid for me. What I am saying is that these simply do not come in play in the military. The question is irrelevant to them. Then these Sarvadhan Prathnasthals in army units, they serve a definite purpose of providing for all personnel a place to seek solace in their personal spiritual belief in times of difficulty, hard times like marching into a grim battle where that's just lurking around the corner. Now obviously a Muslim soldier won't go to a mandir to pray. But that doesn't mean that by going to his prayer area, he is pursuing Islamic Taaleem. All religion prayer areas are not meant to serve a religious purpose and neither for making any political statement. Rather, these are to reinforce the principle of equal treatment to all, which is actually the case. In the military, there is no appeasement, no favor, no reservations. The strength of the military lies in making it fight on a uniform set of ideals rather than on uniform ideology. And the latter is in fact unachievable since it is impossible to completely empty the human mind of personal motivations. It is imbecilic to talk about basing the armed forces on unified Hindu identity when no such unified identity exists at the political level. And this is the reason we have identity based politics exploiting group sentiments. Parties across the board do so, right, left and center, all of them. BJP is also guilty of it. Their last political campaign in Bengal played two identities, Brahmin versus Subaltern, Rajbanshi versus Bengali, creating fault lines which had been absent until then. And politicians will continue doing this. Therefore, trying to forge unity in military based on a Hindu identity will invariably fail because the roots of the military men are in their society. We have an example before us of Pakistan, a state created on a single supposedly unifying idea of Islam. But where are they today? They are fractured along Sindhi, Baloch, Pathan, Punjabi, Muhajir identities. So the glue of the military consists of different elements. The ideals that inspire the highest level of commitment among military men are usually very straightforward, simple, universal and clearly defined. Courage, honor, manliness, fidelity, the oath of allegiance uh, that military men take uh, becomes a significant part of their character and personal integrity. We will come on this later. Then service, a sacrifice, valor, comradeship and most importantly discipline and obedience. These values are inculcated through years of 
training and conditioning, the structural basis for which is the regiment and its long-standing tradition. We will look into this too in a little more detail when we go into the desertions in uh, British Indian Army. A definite set of regular practices, behavioral uh, constraints and moral code of conduct common to the entire military is laid down and rigorously enforced from the inception. But you may notice that patriotism is not a term that figures in these. One may say it is often alleged this is because we inherited the present structure of the armed forces from the British. But we have learned from experience that this is the most effective and successful template for the military. The reason for this is that patriotism can be defined in many ways. It can be and often gets restricted to more limited, narrower identities, which is what happened with Hindu armies in the past. It is not that they were not patriotic, but there was discrepancy in what they saw as patriotism. And this is also because army is not about emotionalism, but professionalism. Emotionalism doesn't work in the army, otherwise a whole lot of military decisions uh, will go wrong. Patriotism of army men is not declared as an absolute ideal, but implied. It is expressed in unflinching commitment and awareness that they are the last line of defense and a do or die attitude no matter what. It is somewhat like a marriage, if I may use that parlance, more about commitment than romance. One important note on identity and cohesion. Although we follow the structure and system of military created by the British, there is an important difference. The British fostered factional identities and identity-based regiment composition in order to enable them to use the native army for their advantage. And these were often fallacious, for example, the martial versus non-martial classes the deliberately created chauvinistic notions based on identity, like in case of Sikhs. These things have undergone successful alteration in Indian Army. Many strictly ethnically rooted regiments have been replaced uh, by general regiments. Some ethnicity based regiments have been continued for their historical record and for preserving uh, regimental tradition, but retaining only a definite proportion of men from the main group and introducing men from the general category. In officers ranks, reservation has been done away with completely and are evenly represented now. So changes keep happening based on experiences with passage of time. Now in that thread there was also talk of dharmic army, introducing dharmic values among uh, soldiers. But similarly as patriotism, dharma may be uh, defined in an infinite number of ways some of them even running counter to each other. Humans also don't have the same level or capacity or even inclination to grasp these concepts. So any force that is oriented on such loose, flighty ideas will be incapable of acting with uniformity of purpose and will cave in at the first sign of adversity. Pakistan army tries to exploit religion and the sentiment of jihad. But this is precisely the reason they are not a very successful army, though constituted of the same racial and cultural elements. And admittedly, and this is something that my dad used to say, make no mistake, Pakistanis are equally good soldiers. 
Singh is the raison d'etre of the Pakistani state and the basis of Pakistani identity makes their military susceptible to these failures. And this is what that uh, Sangam talk was about, which I am referring to here. It was a set of five brilliantly conceived panels and uh, topics for 2611. I would urge you all to watch them. The links of all these videos that I mentioned in the course of this session will be given in the description box at the release of this talk. Now, these exercises that uh, the army holds, uh, which this video talks about of engaging with leaders of the Muslim community, is not because they are looking to appease them, but because this is what is set out as state policy. So, this sort of chatter against the army is actually a case of bucking up the wrong tree. There is need to put onus where it is due. Hindu nationhood, Hindu primacy in defining civilizational values and determining policy have to be deliberated and implemented at the level of the state. The army simply obeys. Which brings me to the next point. The Earth Shastra lays down obedience as the primary virtue of an army. It mentions various kinds of armies that are at the disposal of a king. A standing army, hired army, irregulars, conscripts, then provincial armies, citizens armies, militias, etc. They are uh, distinguished as either Bhritta, that is the professional salaried army and Mitra, armies and armed groups aligned along uh, common interest. But it clearly says that a regular army made of obedient, strong and seasoned personnel is the most superior kind of army. Obedience is a paramount quality of the military as well as strict adherence to a hierarchy. We have often heard this line repeated by military men, we just obey orders. Military men are trained for unfailing compliance to a chain of command, subordinating their personal opinions and preventing them from coming in play, unless authorized to exercise discretion by their designation or a mandate. Not Enforcing this ideal can result in complete disintegration of the army. This deference to rank is followed even after retirement and discipline is strictly enforced. You will recollect recently some of the retired officers got into political sparring on Twitter and subsequently they had to withdraw their tweets. Some even deleted their accounts. Clearly they had received a rap from the military authorities and asked to do so. This is the reason military men have always borne political blunders, diplomatic bloops, bureaucratic inefficiency, apathy of the political class, insensitivity of the society, even injustice to themselves without reaction. In the military, instances of indiscipline and infractions are very strictly dealt with. There are swift and serious consequences for the smallest violation of military code. Sedition ka charge it is impossible to escape penalty, unlike normal legal procedure where even rioters and murderers get away. KG prove me or kuch. It won't be an exaggeration to say that military men are pretty much programmed to obey orders. The modern military has been designed to act as a machinery with calculable outcomes. And believe me, there's no other way you would want the military to be. 
and the crux has the military ever failed in dealing with islamists or islamic powers on account of these principles at its foundation take the case of major mohit sharma who had infiltrated a hizbul outfit and killed two dreaded terrorist commanders would such an operation have been possible without thorough study of the psychology and motivation of the militants so military does carry out studies especially at the level of commanding officers there are formal trainings on the factors that affect the morale of the men loyalty and discipline authority and obedience the cohesion of military units and the aspect of desertion as well both historical and potential they periodically review the moral of the ranks and are also required to study the psyche of the populace they interact with in training the officers study psychology subordination and the basis of discretion various military histories strategy they are constantly being sent off to some or the other course these are study courses uh, throughout their service career aap kya samajhte hain wahan bekhoof baithe ki aap sikha denge jaake then a thorough orientation on the socio religious background of the regimental unit they will command their characteristics sensibilities and sensitivities regiment history ideology is also studied especially when dealing with ideologically motivated adversaries but the military itself is not oriented along these lines you will never hear such things from them like ye log to aise hote hain musliman to waise hote hain prejudice and ideology are useless for them but this doesn't mean that they are oblivious to how islam motivates for example the pakistani army and the terrorists all the same when an army officer says that he is confident that a muslim indian army soldier will cover his back just as well as a hindu soldier he is not mouthing mere homilies because unlike politicians he knows he will have to put his life on his word so how it works is that military men are not invested in any set of ideas like socialism or secularism because they are not into posturing their focus is on what works and what not for the military to function as an efficient unit so equality for all works and it will be enforced in the end my question to all these commentators would be why would you want to mess in a system which is working so well and it has never worked this well in entire pre modern history talking of history let us go to the origin of this term hinduization of the army hinduization of the army did figure frequently in the concerns of hindu leaders during the independence struggle and not just savarkar there was uh, b s munje balakrishna shivaram munje also a hindu mahasabha leader and savarkar's predecessor he founded the central hindu military education society for this purpose by creating a strength of able bodied youth in this organization for feeding into the army the concern appears in ambedkar's writings also and it is discussed quite extensively in letters exchanged between savarkar and rashbihari bose but this hinduization was not about inserting hindutva ideology among the ranks this talk was about increasing the proportion of hindus in the british indian army because 
Owing to the recruitment pattern post the 1857 War of Independence, the proportion of Muslim soldiers was almost 70%, the greater majority of them being Muslim Punjabis. Muslims from United Province, uh, present-day Uttar Pradesh, were also not preferred for the same reason. They were thought to be more prone to rebellion. And the worry of Hindu leaders was not so much the aspect of loyalty, but that in the event of eventual partition, Pakistan would have an army far bigger uh, than India. Demands had been raised for some time for providing military training to youths in schools and colleges in the provinces. And the measures were quite successful. The Muslim proportion in army went down significantly uh, within 10 years in 1945 to about 34%. This was similar to the term Indianization of the British Indian Army, which was meant to have more Indians in commanding positions in the army. This was set in motion in the beginning of the 20th century by the British government, due to which the number of Indian officers coming out of the Indian Military Academy also went up over the same period.